Jesus has just been risen from the dead. He's been with his disciples. And we come to these last words in the gospel. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority I have in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated. Let's bow together and pray. We pray that as we settle into this sermon time, that it might be more spirit time than sermon time. Time for that which speaks deeply within each person, every boy, every girl, every man, every woman, has the capacity to be heard and understood and welcomed. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. In your holy name we pray. Amen. A couple Sundays ago, I gave a shout-out to Eric Burnett, who's a member of our church, for a book he's written on the Louisville Park System called Parks for the People. I want to say something about it again today. Not a particular story, as I did a few weeks ago, about the Castleman statue up the street, but rather to try to convey to you how much this book has helped me in a way that I hadn't really anticipated. You see, I anticipated that I would learn about the history of the parks. What I didn't anticipate is that I would come to experience the parks differently for having read this book. I understand the parks in a sense. I experience the parks differently. I now realize that what I intuited, what I, what I felt was actually Frederick Law Olmsted working in concert with the natural beauty and contours and rhythms that were those lands already, but he formed them in a way that always invited more. If you notice, when you go into Cherokee Park, it's like you're entering the woods. And I've lived here for 20 years. 20 years, the park is between where I work and where I live. And to this day, when I go into the park, I get lost every single time. Every single time. I just drive around. I drove around on Wednesday. Drove around and around and finally ended up at Hogan's Fountain, and there you were. But I had no idea how to get there. And I realize in retrospect that, in a way, this has been intentional for me. For I didn't want to learn the park. I always wanted it to stay what it is. This adventure, this mystery of entering into something that's bigger than I am and fully experiencing all there is. And I wonder if that's what the writer of the book of Genesis had in mind. Not that we would just have the facts 
but that we would have the experience of creation. Someone said there's three ways to communicate. There's metaphor, there's semaphore, and there's two-by-four. Some people think the book of Genesis was written as a kind of two-by-four. Whack, here it is. Here are the facts. Or maybe they think it's just a little signal, a little semaphore. But I wonder if the author perceives and receives what nature, what life reveals. It's right here for us to see. That there's something that came before us. And that there's something beyond this. This something contains us, as the, as the writer uh, that Paul quotes in the book of Acts says, this is one in whom we live. We, we live inside of God. We live and move and have our being inside of this creator that we call God. And whether you're thinking of God as the grandeur and the majesty of one who can say a word and things appear, who can point the divine finger and things are changed, or whether you think of this one, as James Weldon Johnson did, as a little mammy, holding in God's own hands our lives and the creativity of humanity. Either direction, large or small, you see Life. You see growth. You see a movement. You see a current that's, that's, that's occurring. There's a trajectory happening here. And it's always moving from the simple to the more complex. There is an evolution, if you will. I noticed that the word evolution at its root is the word love backwards. We evolve, we move more toward that which is sacred and harmonious and generous and inclusive. There's this layering layering that happens day to day, from day one to day two. There's a building upon that which came before, not to denigrate that which came before, but to fulfill it. To bring it to completion. So day two follows day one. Day three follows day two. And nothing's lost. Richard Rohr says, transcend and include. Bring it all. Nothing gets wasted. There's this harmony. There's this synchronicity. There's this community of cooperation and sharing and trust. It's, it's, it's like a dance. You begin to feel in the creation story this rhythm, this beat, this intention, this choreography of grace. There's no collisions. There's no conflict. There's no confusion. There's no chaos because chaos is the opposite of creation. Do you hear it? Can you feel it? This is God's intention for the world. This is the world that God intended we live in and move and have our being. 
I don't have to tell you that Genesis 3 follows Genesis 1 and 2. The creation stories are followed by the story of Adam and Eve, which is really you and me, every generation, who through greed or fear or the need to prove something somehow lose the sacred beat. We step out of the current, out of the flow. And when we do, we begin to step on other toes. We begin to wreck the dance that's going on. And we recognize it. You know it. You don't need a preacher to come and say, oh, oh, right here. You got out of step. Right here. You know it. We know it. We see it on the news and we recognize this is not what God dreamed. And it's been going on for many, many years. Centuries. Eons. A hundred years before the birth of this nation, there was an event that we call now Bacon's Rebellion that was an example to me of this falling profoundly out of the divine dance. Bacon's Rebellion was a man named Nathaniel Bacon, a poor colonist, who joined with other people who were being oppressed, black and white, together. They rose up against the elite, the the, the 1%, and said, we cannot continue to live this way. And when finally those 17th century elites beat them back, they said to themselves, if we're going to retain power, this cannot happen again. And so they had a strategy, divide and conquer. The author I heard this week's suggests that this was the birth of the white nation, the invention of white people. She makes the case, compellingly, that this is the first time in in history where there's a category called white. White was an invention. Before, there were English and Irish and Italian and Swiss, but now they were grouped together in one and given the name white as a way to divide them over against those who were black so that the power of people could not be united to do the work that I think God intended, for there to be harmony and equality, but to keep it suppressed. And for 500 years, we've been living under that suppression. You know that. You can feel it. I don't have to tell you. Anyone with one eye and half a brain can feel the racism in that in that event and how profoundly out of step it is with creation's harmony. But it's not just the big events of life. You feel it in your own bones, in your own soul, when you get out of step with the divine dance. You know when that is. When you're living more for yourself than for the the larger purpose of this world, when you try to take life on your terms rather than life on life's terms, and you get out of step. And you find yourself colliding with yourself, with other people. You find yourself stepping on toes and being stepped on. And you're like, what, what's gone wrong here? You're out of step. You're not doing the dance. You're not moving with the rhythm of creation. Which is why Jesus came into the world This one who knew the beat of God, whose heart beat with the beat of God, 
whose heart understood and felt that sacred rhythm and lived it and embodied it in all he was and did and said. He came to us then and now, and he says to us, not in judgment, but in invitation, repent, which means turn, find the beat again. Come join this dance. Come be part of this work of love that God has intended from the very beginning. Jesus called it the kingdom of God, the dream of God. And everyone's invited, no matter who you are or what you've done, whether, you've, whether you're the tax collector or the prostitute or the sinner, or whether you're the older brother in this parable of the prodigal son who waits outside in his self-righteousness, refuses to come into the party, refuses to dance the dance. Still, the invitation, come on, be with us. Trust this sacred current, and the way will always be revealed. But we hesitate. We're not sure that love really wins. We're not completely sure we can trust this current. And Jesus came to his disciples and said, hey, you don't have to do this alone. You can be caught up in that sacred current. He called it the Holy Spirit. You can be caught up in that and you're taken and you're guided and you're inspired and you trust it because it's not about you anymore. It's about this dance, this sacred flow where everyone is included and nothing is wasted. Tony Heitzman is a retired hospice chaplain. I saw this week he was telling me that in his retirement, he's actually gone out to the prison at LaGrange and has been doing some volunteer work out there. He had this idea. What if we trained prisoners at LaGrange to be hospice caregivers for other patients who are in the prison hospital and dying? That way they could learn empathy, compassion. They could, they could be one with these people who are dying. Well, the warden didn't cotton to the idea at first, but after several years, he has agreed. And Tony and others have begun teaching skills and empathy and compassion and have these men and women working with the dying, serving them, giving them what they can. Recently, one of the prisoners came to Tony and said these words. I now no longer care if I ever get out of prison because I'm here doing what I was put in this world to do. To trust that dance. The early Christians had a word they used about the Trinity. Perichoresis from which we get the word choreography, the divine dance, creator, the Christ, the spirit, all weaving together in this beautiful harmony and in this way that invites all of the creation to come along. It's what God dreams for the world, and we're invited. We read from Matthew 28. Jesus instructs us to preach the gospel, and here it is. Here's the gospel. All are invited to the sacred dance. 
to come join the dance of the Trinity. That the book that says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, ends with these words. Christ saying, behold, I'm making all things new. I know it's scary. But really, don't you want to dance? Let's pray together. We hear your beat going on, God. We feel it. We recognize it. We see it. May we step out and place our hands in yours and trust that you will guide us, waltz us into the future. To your glory and your kingdom, may it come now and forever. And all God's people say, Amen.